is so somber. You ever notice that? Come here, you put your serious face on, and you pray, and you cry. We have something to celebrate about. That's why I love songs uh, just like that. So l- let's just pray together this morning, and uh, let's do so with a cheerful heart, huh? Here we go. Father in heaven, we thank you. We praise you, and we celebrate you today. All the nations, every tongue, every language that we know, and every language that's unknown to man praises your name. Lord, we just... Thanksgiving overflows in our heart. Gratitude overwhelms us this morning. You're so good, God. In the midst of all that's happening and all the the hard things or, or, or frustrating things we see on the news, there is something in the earth that is still good, and His name is Jesus. We thank you for that truth today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much for coming today. You can sit down. My name is Beck. Welcome again to ESIS. And if this is your first time, we'd like to specifically welcome you today. We are so happy to have you on this November Sunday. I have a few announcements here I'd like to get to in just a second um, before we have our testimony. In your bulletin, you will see this little slip here. These are called our friendship cards. If you just take a moment and pull this out, I'd really appreciate it. Some of you have been here for 20 years or more, and some of you, this is just your first Sunday. If you would, please fill this card out and place it in the offering basket at the end of service with your, oh, what did I say, for lottery ticket. Put your lottery ticket in there, your paycheck or something. That would be helpful as well. Uh, but, but please do put this in the offering basket at the end of service. This helps us keep in contact with you. Let us know um, if there's any way that we can serve you or your family or community in any way. This is not just for like junk mail uh, in case of an emergency or an immediate prayer need. Uh, uh, updating of the calendar. We would like to be able to contact you and you contact us. So if you'd fill these out, we'd really would appreciate that. Now, while you're doing that, I want you to um, invite you to listen to a dear friend of mine. This is Aubrey. Aubrey's going to make her way up here now. Uh, Aubrey's attended ESS for two years, three years, no, one year. What? Gosh, it just, time slowed down when you showed up. Got, I'm just kidding. Um, we offer a testimony time here at ESS almost every Sunday. This is an opportunity for us to learn about our friends in the congregation, but also to hear stories about what the Lord is doing here and now in our lives. So I'd invite you to listen up. Good morning. So I work with a children's ministry called Heroic Life Discipleship. And uh, last month I had the opportunity to go to a, a workshop to teach in Virginia and just kind of do some different, um, yeah, just uh, teaching with some of the children's ministry leaders at, at this church in Virginia. And the night before I was supposed to get on my flight to go to Virginia, I got really sick. And I thought, oh, this is something, this is not good. I don't feel like I can actually make it um, to this workshop tomorrow. So I just started praying, and I asked a few different people to pray, and I started feeling better. So I thought, okay, well, I'll be able to make it on my flight tomorrow. 
So then the next day I woke up and I was really, really sick. And I thought, no, I have to get on this flight in like two hours and I don't even know if I can like stand and walk through the security at the Denver airport. And I just kept praying because I knew that like I was supposed to do this and that the sickness was definitely just an attack from the enemy. So uh, at that point I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to take the next step and the next step and make an effort to to go. So I made it through the airport and the girl that I was going with, she was also sick too. So here we are like, we're just like, you know, struggling through the airport to get on our flight and then we like slump in our seats. We fly all the way to Virginia and we get there that night and we're just like both toast. We're like, no, there's, there's no way that we possibly could have just traveled across the country, both being so sick in our own strength. Like it was so evident that Jesus had enabled us to do that. But we're like, there's also no way that we could possibly teach at this workshop tomorrow in our own strength. So we're just going to trust that Jesus got us here and he's going to enable us to teach tomorrow. So um, we did. We got up and we spoke and it was so neat to see the way that God was working because it was so evident that nothing that was good that day was from us, that it was completely from him because we were just kind of like shells and we were like offering our bodies to Jesus, like, here you go, please use us. And he did. Um, it was really neat to see even just the way that it seemed very strategic that we were so weak and God's strength shone through that because we just got out of the way and he worked and you could see that it wasn't just a workshop about like teaching you know, how to teach kids, but it was really working through, like, mindsets for ministry, how to um, depend on Christ when you're serving, um, how to have a heart to really disciple children and lead them to know and follow Jesus. And you could see that God's Spirit was at work during that workshop, um, just really impacting the lives and the hearts of the of the people there. So I I share that story because it, it was very encouraging for me to see, like, when I have nothing, when I am weak, like, Jesus is willing to take me, take my body, and use it when I offer it up to him. And I hope that's just encouraging to you, too, because I know that I'm not the only person who's ever weak. Very good, friend. Thank you so much. I share this with the first service, and I, I really appreciate how Avery puts it, um, that we are, we're just shells, you know, this empty, broken, weak vessel, and when the Lord fills us and uses us, we become this empowered uh, thing. Now, often, uh, you may as well, I fill myself with anger or frustration or pity or some of these other things, and it leads me to make decisions that are um, in opposition to the Lord. I believe that it's important to remember, like Aubrey, um, that we are not our own. We belong to Jesus, and we are um, to be used for His will, purpose, and mostly His pleasure. And uh, I think as we step into the Christmas season, there is a temptation, uh, like being sick from the Lord, to derail our view from what the Lord would have us do with our life, our talents, our money, our time, and invert those things to what can we get? What can we have? And, and I would urge you to uh, not try to fight against that, but, but simply put it to death. Um, because this season is a great opportunity to give of yourself uh, in such a way that we become more Christ-like.
Speaking of which, as we step into the Christmas season, it is time for our, our Christmas celebrations here at ESS. We have a few things in store. Uh, there's a number of things at ESS that we normally do that we will not be doing during the Christmas season, uh, namely our Bible studies. We sort of take a break uh, during the Christmas uh, the month of December so that you can have a time with your family and we know that events and things are going on. So in light of that, our Tuesday night Women of the Word Bible study will not be held in December at all. Nor will our Wednesday night uh, in-depth Bible study, we're going through Revelation still, we will not have that uh, in December either. So no midweek Bible studies. We will, however, have next week our Christmas Family Sunday. Now, you don't want to miss this. This is going to be a lot of fun. You bring your friends and family. This is an opportunity where the kids come upstairs and we sing a lot of songs. The kids will probably get up and do something. And um, this is, It's just like a celebration Sunday. We sort of bring in the Christmas season. We do Christmas songs and we wear fun outfits and stuff. So we'd like to invite you to come to that next Sunday. We will preach the Word. There will be a sermon. So I'm good, you know, I'll caught up. That'll happen. Uh, but we'll have a lot of fun as well along with that. Also, we have our Adopt-A-Family Christmas this year. Um, this is a really special ministry. This is something that we do where we can give within not only our church, but the churches in the community to those who would not be able to open Christmas presents uh, without this aid. Over my left-hand side here, just over your right shoulder around that exit, there's a Christmas tree. On that Christmas tree are ornaments that look just like this. If you'd be interested to join along with us, you can take one or two or three of these cards and purchase what is on this. So, for example, this boy, he's five. He wants a dinosaur. Now, I don't know if I can get him a real dinosaur, uh, but I think a toy will suffice. I would bring that toy unwrapped back to Easis next Sunday. Now, the due date for these cards is the 15th, which is a Friday. Now, if you pick it up on a Friday, you could, you could probably bring it the following Sunday. So not next Sunday, but the following Sunday will be our deadline for these, these gifts. It's through a ministry in town called Serve 6.8, and uh, churches all over the community are doing that. If you'd like more information about that ministry, you can see it right next to the Christmas tree outside. Uh, okay, uh, if you have any other questions about stuff that's going on here at ESS, please look at our bulletin that I just fumbled uh, off to the side. There are some things that are coming up, some things that have been canceled. Our cookie exchange has been canceled, things like that. So if you want to get in contact with us or find out about the happenings at ESS, please look in the bulletin. Okay, uh, let's stand to our feet, say hello to each other for a few minutes, and the uh, worship team will bring us back in no time. Thanks a lot. A dominating force, Lord, to where we can't not recognize you moving but we simply just say yes to whatever you're doing Lord there's things in this room that are weighing us down there's things in this room that are heavy there's things in this room that are stealing life from us Father there's things in this room that we are addicted to and Lord you want to release us from that today you want to release us from the mental gymnastics of having to continue to revisit whatever that is. And Lord, you tell us in your scripture to be transformed. And Lord, we want to be transformed this morning by the renewing of our mind, Lord. We want to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. So again, we say manifest yourself here today. Be here, Jesus. We love you. We 
thank you. And in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. You guys are free to be seated. Thank you for being here this morning. It was a very interesting morning thus far. Um, kind of gave you guys a little bit of an indication of what happened first service with the, the music. We just jumped right in because that uh, piano just wasn't wanting to work for me. There was a lot of clicking and all kinds of craziness. When stuff like that happens, I had to make this comment in first service. I believe as though the Lord is pushing us towards something and it's precedent setting, but the enemy doesn't want necessarily something to happen. All right? Now, it's a very small thing, what happened with the keys. But small things can turn into big things if we let them. Amen? So what we are about to jump into this morning is a scripture in verse 1 that actually talks about worship. Letting your service and your heart and where you're at be worship towards the Lord. That worship isn't always what comes from a band. Worship isn't always what comes from a worship team. It is a lifestyle. A lifestyle from the time you get up to the moment you fall asleep. And I'm going to ask y'all this morning, are you worshiping God? Today, right now. Let, let that be... Uh, well, let the answer of that question be, yes, we choose to step in to worshiping Him in this moment. Because you know what that does? It kills resistance. Right there in His tracks. It kills frustration. It kills anxiety. It kills anger. It kills fear right in the moment. When you simply just say, I'm just going to worship you right now. Self falls away. Jesus is the center. Amen. It's a good place to start, right? Well, we're going to continue here in, the, in, in Romans chapter 12. And it's only going to be verses 1 and 2. I could probably preach for a month on verses 1 and 2. Because these are widely quoted ver uh, verses. Widely used texts from the Word of God. And I think it's widely used because talks about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're in a college town where also a town where HP is, HP and CSU are the biggest employers in the city of Fort Collins. We're a very knowledge-based city that if you just go and gain and go to school and gain knowledge, excuse me, i got to finish that statement, go and gain knowledge and go to school and do what it is that you, you need to do to advance, to get smarter, that you're, you're, you're in a better place than you were before you knew that one thing. And we begin to vault this stuff to a, a level that it doesn't need to be. It just doesn't need to be. Being transformed by the renewing of your mind. But guess what else that means? I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. The narrative that you have in your head that is against you, we want to kick that out the door today, again. If it's, if it's crept back in and you're saying something to yourself like you're not enough, or you're saying something to yourself like, nobody understands me, or nobody this, that, or the other thing, I'm the only one. There's all of this stuff that we can say to ourselves. That this scripture is communicating to us, hey, look, take five seconds. 
Think about what you're saying. And if it's according to Scripture, keep going. But if it's not, be transformed by the renewing of what's going on between your ears. Alright? There's a lot in these Scriptures. One and two. I'm going to read them real quick and then give a little bit of an introduction here. But here's what these things say. The book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Verse 2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Man, there's a lot going on in there. But what brought us up to this point past year? We've been in Romans since January 1 of 2016. 17, excuse me. Yeah. So it seems as though when there's a turn of the month, there's a turn of the chapter. Chapter 12, December. We'll continue. We're not going to stop in chapter 12, just so you know. We'll continue through the end of the book. But there's been 11 chapters of Paul talking about salvation. 11. This is doctrine heavy. This is what we... Basically, this is why we believe what we believe is in those first 11 chapters. What I gave you guys last week was kind of a bookend message where here's what he said in chapter 1 verses 1 through 7. Here's what he said in chapter 11 through the end of the chapter. And we can kind of see how he started out saying it's about Christ. And he ended by saying, you've heard me say all of this. Believe what you want, but it's still about Christ. Believe what you want, but it, he is still the foundation of the gospel. Not the gospel according to Alex. Not the gospel according to Clay or Opal but the, or little babies. You know what I'm saying? She's just praising Jesus right there. Ow, come on, come on. Get it. I love it. But the gospel according to Jesus Christ. Amen? Eleven chapters of that. But have you guys ever read the word and, being, and you say to yourself, well, how, how do I apply this? What, what's next? Doctrine is great. It looks all great on paper. But how do I live this out? What's the practical application to 11 chapters of heavy, heavy salvation? Gospel. Uh, the righteousness of faith and not the righteousness of works. Um, you guys ever do that? I still even do that as a, as a pastor. What's the practical application? Now see, it's, it's okay to ask that question, but guess what? There's an answer. Don't ask the question and then be like, well, see you later. I'm not going to stay and listen for the answer because the Lord will give you the answer. Yes. And once we get the answer, ladies and gentlemen, we have to do something with it. That is what I'm encouraging you with this morning. Come and listen. Come and hear what... Anybody from the pulpit has to say about the word. But when you leave here, thank God I'm not in the back of your car the rest of the week reminding you, hey, you got to live by this. 
Thank God I'm not, when, I, when you guys wake up, you come downstairs, the preacher has fixed you breakfast and is saying, hey, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Thank God I'm not there to help you through it. What I'm saying is, you can't rely just on Sunday morning. We have to walk from this place being transformed. Walk from this place being different. So I'm going to ask each and every one of you as I kind of try to look at you guys in the eyeballs. There's something going on. Be different. It may be good. Be different as in let it be better. There may be something down here. Be different when we walk out of here because we've let the scripture transform our lives. Amen? Amen. So we again have 11 chapters of doctrine. It's heavy, heavy stuff. From 12 on, Paul gets into the practicality of Christian living. And it's interesting to me how he starts. He starts with something that has to do with service. Okay, here's who Christ is. Here's what he's done for us. Here's what he's done for the Jews. Here's what he's done for the Gentiles. What do we do with that? We dedicate ourselves to him. How do I serve? What do I do when I come into the church house? The first thing that I ask is, what can I add, not what can I take? That's a big one. The first day that I get to a new place or a new church or I've been here for a thousand years, the first time I get here on a Sunday morning, what should be on my mind is, how can I give? And not, what are we here to glean so that we can kind of take what we need and get squeak by Thursday, squeak by Friday, and oh my goodness, I'm hanging on by a thread on Saturday, and then I get back to Sunday again and we're good. <laughs> Man, that's exhausting. These verses talk about an exchange. But this word right here, therefore, it's a bottleneck. Meaning this, we can't get to chapter 12 until we go through 1 through 11. Now, I'm not asking for you to completely understand all of 1 through 11. But what I am saying is if Scripture is set up for our good and not for our, our, our calamity or for, for our destruction, then everything that has been spoken from then up until now, we have to say, Lord, I'm on your side and not my own. I agree with your word and not mine. That's this therefore. He's saying, if you sit on the foundation of of this doctrine then here's what your life should be like if you agree with this then this is what should be a product the therefore is the bottleneck it's the very thin door I'll tell you what that a lot of people don't want to walk through it's tough there's scriptures that say that the Lord to the road the Lord to the road wow the road to the Lord is narrow but the one to destruction is wide and it looks good. So I'm going to make this statement and I'm going to continue. Your ethical and moral behavior is as a result of your dogma. I know what dogma is. It's not a dog named Ma. Alright? It's not a furry friend. Okay? But dogma means this. Principles that are laid down by an authority that are, watch this, incontrovertibly true. Meaning that our opinion does not sway the truth of these principles. That what you believe 
defines your behavior. Your ethical and moral behavior is as a result of the principles that have been laid down by an authority that are incontrovertibly true. Eleven chapters of it. My ethical and moral behavior should be as a result of chapters 1 through 11. Genesis through Revelation. But here's what Paul is communicating. Are you with me this morning? In these first two verses. So again, after 11 chapters of doctrine, incontrovertibly uh, true doctrine, laid down by the Father, where we see the character of Christ, he says, therefore, after all that, here is what should be as a result. Now again, going through those 11 chapters, we see how the Jews basically stiff-arm God, stiff-arm the Messiah. I said, hey, I'm good. We will do what we want to do according to our law. And Paul comes in and says, hey, look, like that's not going to save you. You can do everything by the letter of the law, but it doesn't gain you salvation. Accepting Christ into your life, that's, that's what it really is. And it was available to the Gentiles because the Jews stiff-armed it. And then the Gentiles got a little hot and said, hey, well, we're a little bit more special than them. Paul said, calm it down just a little bit. Everybody's on the same playing field because of the gospel. After all of that, let me say this to you. Have you ever stiff-armed the Lord? Saying, you know what, God, I'm good. I'll take care of it by the letter of Alex. I'll take care of it by the letter of Vicky. I'll take care of it by the letter of Valerie or Jakin. We get to a place where we ask this question. After all of that, is Jesus overpaying for what he's getting in return? What he did on the cross, did he overpay for what we are then sliding back across the table to him? Man, that's like smack you in the face. It's a, it's a good question to ask. Because that therefore is the bottleneck. Here's everything that's been established. Is my life a manifestation of that being true in my heart. And what comes out, is it worthy to be pushed across the table? I'll tell you what, sometimes yes, sometimes no. To be real with yourself in that allows for change. It allows for growth. It allows, okay, stubbornness out the window. I'm right, they're wrong. Out the window, what is God doing? What is God saying? And does my life reflect that? You with me today, church? He says, therefore, which in the Greek is O-U-N, own, I think, possibly how you pronounce that. It's used as a conjunction to flow from one thing to the next. Logically, practically, that's the Greek interpretation of that, therefore. There's a practical application of chapters 1 through 11, we're about to read it. What you believe defines your behavior. What are we conjoining? We're conjoining the doctrine with our behavior. He says, I urge you, brethren, I urge you, believers. That word urge is perikaleo. It means to call, to summon, to address, to speak to. He's urging. There's an influence there. You heard me last week and the week before touch on a point. That if 
there's many things in this world that have the, how do I say it, the ability to influence you on a massive level. But the only thing that changes your heart is Christ himself. That's it. The revelation of Jesus Christ is the only thing that will take a man's heart from one place to the other. Hallelujah. Now, does that mean that we don't influence one another? No. Does that mean that we don't have Bible studies and disciples? No, it doesn't mean that. It just means that when it gets to the point of change, Christ is responsible for that. So I'm going to say this to you. You are capable of making your own decisions. You are capable of taking your mind from one place to the other and learning and growing. But what Paul is saying here, he's saying, I urge you, I'm not going to force you, but I urge you, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to influence you to, to one thing. To be motivated and persuaded by something deep. I'm urging you, believers, to be moved by something that's so incontrovertibly true that as a result, your life is a living sacrifice to Him. Your bodies can be presented as a living sacrifice to Him. Well, what is that thing? What are we motivated by? It says it in the verses. And you can easily read right past it. You can easily jump right over it and see it as something that's just a small deal. But it's massive in nature. It really is. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. Do you know what mercy is? It's things given that are undeserved. Things given to us that we did nothing to have that thing show up on the doorstep. Even in the face of slapping God with sin, He gives us mercy. We don't deserve to be forgiven, but He does. That's the part I think that we don't really see in these, maybe it's just me, I can't speak for you, that I didn't see in this, this, this verse. It's hard for me to get past that word. Therefore, I urge you, believers, on the foundation of the mercies of God. That's the front door of this thing. That's the threshold of this thing. The rest of this message, I want you to hang on to that. And here's why. Paul spent 11 chapters talking about doctrine. He also spent 11 chapters revealing the character of Christ. Revealing those things that were given that were undeserved. To be motivated by those things. And I have a list here that I want to read to you that are the mercies of God. And I want you, and these were revealed in these chapters. But every time one of these comes out of my mouth, it's undeserved. Think of it like that. Because that's the definition of mercy. Things given that are undeserved. The first, divine love. We did nothing to deserve that. And here's a big one. Grace. The ability to do something that you cannot do on your own. That is something He has given to us that I don't deserve. But every morning He gives me grace to get up. Even when I've messed up or I've done something great. He still gives it. The Holy Spirit. Peace. Undeserved. Faith. Comfort. He gives you power. He gives us hope. 
He also gives us patience. We see kindness. We get a chance to share in His glory. These are things that are given, that are undeserved. Honor is a big one. I'm going to repeat something that I heard this, this week as I was studying because I want to give credit where credit is due. That what should be at the top of this list is righteousness. The ability to be righteous. Something that was given to us that was undeserved. Justification. I'm so glad that I was justified by Christ and not justified by sin. I'm so glad that I was justified by Jesus dying on the cross and not justified by the crap or the stuff that pulls me down every single day. Are you with me today, church? Amen. Justified by a Savior and not by sin. Continuing with this list. Security. He gives that to us. Eternal life. That's one of the biggest ones. Undeserved. We don't deserve freedom, but He gives it. We don't deserve resurrection, but He gives it. We don't deserve to be adopted and sonship, but He gives both of those. And here, here are some big ones right here. Intercession, but here are the last two. Forgiveness and reconciliation. I want you in this moment to understand that He has given us that forgiveness. We don't deserve it. So, forgive yourself right now. I don't want you to think about it. I don't want you to... Say, well, maybe I kind of do and I cut. No, let's stop. Whoop, right there. Forgive yourself. Forgive yourself. It's okay. Because He's a God who is giving love. And our ability to receive it is also connected with our ability to forgive ourselves. Receive that right now. There is... I believe a, a move of the Spirit this morning that wants us to, to release something and be transformed. We'll get to that part of the verse. But there's a threshold here that needs to be walked through. you got to leave beating yourself up outside the door. Just put the backpack down that's weighing you down and just step through. Amen? And he continues, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. See, all of those mercies should be the motivation. Why do I present my bodies as a living and holy our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice? Because of his mercy. Because of His kindness. Because of His forgiveness. So what do I push back across the table? My whole life. Can we get uh, Psalms 116? And it should be, did we switch that? Or is it still, okay. Psalms 116, 12. Up there. And it says this, What shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits towards me? The message that I preached last week was <laughs> at the end of the message. Who, uh, Paul quotes the Old Testament but says, who, who will counsel the Lord? Or what gift have you given to Him that He will pay it back to you? Meaning, what have you done for Him that He owes you something? And how are you going to tell the Lord what to do? You can't counsel God. But 
here's another question. What shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits towards me? The answer is very simple. Your entire life. The answer is simple. The practicality of that may be complicated when flesh gets in the way. Right? But he's saying, I urge you, be motivated by the mercies of God to do something. Push your life across the table and no longer try to control it. No longer say, this is good for me and I'm going to hang on to this. Rather say, Lord, I'm willing to let it go. Whatever it is. Amen? Present your body as a living and holy sacrifice. Now, a living sacrifice, there's a difference between a living sacrifice and a dead sacrifice. I hope we know that. It's pretty simple. One's breathing, one's not. Okay? But you jump back to the Old Testament in the Levitical law, you'll see how you were supposed to sacrifice animals. And the list is like extensive. The rules and regulations of what you have to do and how you have to do it. It's crazy. Make your head spin. But before Christ, before the new covenant, we're talking about the old covenant, the, the law of Moses, blood needed to be spilled to atone for sins. So burnt offerings, animals were used. But I want you to know that even back then and now, whether it's a dead sacrifice or we're talking about ourselves as a living sacrifice under the new covenant of Jesus Christ, it's never about the sacrifice as much as it is about the person and their heart bringing something to the table to say, Lord, here's what I'm offering you. Here's what I'm giving you. Back then, you couldn't bring an animal that was blemished. You had to bring the best of the best. Right? Let me ask you a question. Are you bringing the best of the best for the Lord? <laughs> what do you push across the table? Is it blemished? Because if the heart of a man thinks that it's okay to bring the Lord something that is less than perfect, then there needs to be a heart change. There needs to be a heart change. To present God something that is blemished is saying that, Lord, what you did on the cross wasn't enough. You paid too much for what I'm going to give back to you. So I'm going to give back to you something that's lesser. Are you with me? I've used this analogy before, but it's like going outside, finding, you know, the best meal you could ever imagine. I love Texas Roadhouse. Like, guys, I would have Texas Roadhouse cater my wedding and then cater the entire honeymoon. Just, we'll eat at Texas Roadhouse the whole time. But go, yes, I heard an amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But go get a meal from there. Walk outside, get a trash can lid, flip the trash can lid over, put that meal on the trash can lid, and try to serve it to me. I'm sorry, I'm not going to eat it. I do not know where that trash can lid has been. I do not know what has been underneath that trash can lid. But how often do we do that to the Lord? Here is something that is so great. Lord, it's just amazing, but the way I'm presenting it to you, it's just not good are you trucking with me today man I haven't used that one in a while that was Hilton days are you trucking with me I might have to bring that one back right on 
But again, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. And I'm going to stay on this word sacrifice for just a little bit more before I move on. This reminds me of a story in 1 Samuel 15. This is Saul. Okay, Saul is asked by the Lord to go and completely destroy this group of people who have a king. Kill the king. I want you to kill the livestock. I don't want you to, I don't want you to take anything for yourself. Nothing. That's pretty detailed instructions right there. Well, what happens is Saul gets a little uh, glitter in his eyes, alright, and he takes for himself the best of the livestock. He doesn't kill the king, he kills everyone else, but he takes the king back to wherever he was and he parades him around the city. Kind of like, hey, look what I did. Right? Not only that, but he takes some of the spoil for himself. And he gets confronted by Samuel. Samuel comes up to him and says, why is it that you have not done all of what God asked you to do? You know what his response was? I did. Obviously, we can see that he didn't. But have we ever done that? Lord, I did it the way you asked me to do it. First of all, if he's asking you, why didn't you? Obviously, that's kind of diagnostic in nature. Let's just listen from there. And instead of responding by saying, I did, say, what did I miss? It's a little bit more of a humble nature. But that's what Saul said. I did. Samuel says, well, what is this bleeding of sheep that I hear in my ear then? What is this king that I see? And you can get through the story. I'm going to flip over to this. Oh, we got it up there. Awesome. We get through this story. And Samuel, excuse me, Saul gets confronted. And this is what Samuel says to him. He's talking about sacrifices here. He says, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, here we go, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to heed than the fat of rams. Does that make sense? You know what Saul did say? He said, the reason why I kept this livestock was so that I could sacrifice it to Jesus, or to God. He even had good intentions with it, but the Lord didn't want his intentions. He wanted his obedience. The Lord doesn't want our intentions. He wants our obedience. Presenting yourself as your body as a living and holy sacrifice is about obedience more so than it is about intention. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And then here we go. How do I do that? Man, that seems like a tall order. It is. It's supposed to be. But it's not unattainable. It's unattainable when we operate in the flesh. You can't say no when you're in the flesh. But you can say yes when you're in Christ. There's scripture that says there is no temptation that is too great. You know what that means? There is no temptation that has power over you. None. You get to say to that temptation, sorry, I win. You don't have to wake up and succumb to that. You don't. There's no rule that says you have to. But there's a principle that's incontrovertibly true that says God gives us the power to say no to things. 
And God gives us the power to rise above things. Are you with me today, church? Is there anybody in here? I thought we were going to get hype right there, but there was crickets, you know, crickets. <laughs> I need my towel, I'm telling you. Just be waving that thing. How do we do that? The next part of this says acceptable to God. I'm going to make this statement with that. If we can get Matthew 16, 26 up there. Now this is talking about a man's soul. Now this is an element of being a living sacrifice. Why? Because we are living I am a man. We are human. Okay, We have souls, right? It says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? He gets the house. He gets the cars. He gets the money. He gets the good things. Whatever you want. You know, traveling. Whatever you want. Have a great life. But if you don't know Jesus, what's the point? If your life isn't a representation of who Christ is, then what's the point? For what will a man profit if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? I'm sorry, you don't have hands big enough to give something big enough or pockets deep enough. Christ took care of that with his life. Amen? Amen. You cannot present Anything We cannot present anything acceptable to God unless our whole heart is in it. Unless our whole soul is in it. Now you may say, well, there's been times where I've, I've tried. And that's good. I'm not saying God takes those things and says, you're unworthy. I'm not saying that. But when it's acceptable to Him, He's the one who can open up the little doors on your sternum here, look at your heart, and see if your whole heart's in it. You can say whatever you want to me. You can, make, you can make it out to be however you want to be, Facebook, social media style. People only see what you want them to see. But when he opens up those little doors, man, is your whole heart in it. When it is, it's acceptable to him. Amen. And then we continue to this verse too. Excuse me, not quite yet. Acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now that word spiritual right there uh, translated in the context of this verse is logikos. Logikos. Got it. And it means reasonable. Logic or logical. And also we pull from resources that it means of the word. So you could say this. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice acceptable to God, it's a reasonable service that a life of worship according to God's word is an acceptable sacrifice. Service, excuse me, reasonable service is a life of worship according to God's word. I can worship him according to the letter of Alex. But worship, worshiping him according to what the Lord says, responding to your spouse the way the Lord said, responding to your co-worker, responding, ah, man, go down the list with that one. According to God's word. 
that in and of itself becomes an act of worship. Are you here? Are you hearing me this morning? Then we get into verse 2. It says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you know that when you wake up and when you go to sleep, there's a war that's going on for you and for your mind, and it's right in front of you every day, whether you want to acknowledge it or not? This world will not cease to get your attention, to gain your attention, to try to tell you things that are false, to try to tell you things that will literally steal your life from you, that you have to look a certain way, you have to be a certain person, and has to be to this place by this time in your life. The world is after destroying your mind. Let me make it real simple. To kill, steal, and destroy you. And that's not a small thing. It's small in nature sometimes, but the magnitude in them, uh, the instrument that it is, has to be understood. Let me say it. Like, let me say it that way. When I say small in nature, you might just see a commercial, or you something might come across your newsfeed, or whatever the case may be. There's a battle for your mind. But what this scripture is saying is saying, don't be conformed, wrapped around that. But he uses a different word. It doesn't say be conformed or uh, be uh, in relationship to your mind. He uses a word called transformed. Right? So we have conformed and transformed. Conformed could mean, does mean, excuse me, using three or four different parts for the sake of this illustration and just rearranging them. And however many different combinations you can have of the same thing, but guess what? Nothing new has been added. Nothing. It's just the same thing looking different. You know what? The good stuff will put up here, but the bad stuff will keep behind closed doors. That's what the world wants you to think. Don't be conformed to that. Don't let just it be what you want people to see. Are you real? Let them see the real you. If you don't want them to see the ugly stuff, then let's get that out. Let's let the Lord clean that out. Are you, are you with me this morning? But this word transform, simple Webster de definition of this, uh, I wrote this down. It means a new makeup. There's a dramatic change. And that change is thorough. It's a change in appearance. And it's a change of character. You know what that means? Something's added. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says... Any man who's a new creation, excuse me, uh, I've got to get this right. <laughs> For those who are in Christ are a new creation. The old has passed. Okay? The old wasn't folded up and put it in your back pocket until five years from now and then you pull it back out and revisit that. The old wasn't simply just slipped underneath the bed and then you were cleaning some stuff out and something popped up and now you've got to deal with it. I'm not talking about that. The old is gone. And the new man is what rises to the top. That's who we are when we say yes to Christ. There's a reason why it says transformed. Be transformed. Be dramatically and drastically different in appearance and in character by the renewing of what? Your mind. One of those things that can renew your mind in the moment is when the mercies of God 
arrest your heart, and you then give Him your whole self. Are you with me? When I let the Word of God transform what I'm thinking on, let me, let me, let me back up. When it says mind, is, you guys understand that there's a reason why it doesn't say heart, a reason why it doesn't say body, a reason why it doesn't say finger, okay? I mean, a reason why it doesn't say knee <laughs> or foot. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind because the mind is the middle management between your heart and your body. Man, I really need to go work out. My heart is just in it, right? On the way there, Dairy Queen, Lamar's Donuts, Qdoba, I can easily just boop, boop, right in there. My mind is trying to convince me that you don't need to go pick stuff up and put it down right now. You can pick up a donut and put it in your mouth because that feels good. It's just a very low level analogy, but do you get where I'm going with that? It's the middle management between your heart and your body. I guarantee everyone's heart in here being transformed by Christ. That moment that you gave your life to Him and sin no longer had a grip on you. That your heart is for Christ. But there's moments in our lives where our bodies don't say that because our mind has talked ourselves out of it. I wrote this down and I forgot to say it last service. But I want to say it this, this service because it's, it's huge. It says, sin is the result of forgetting what happened when we got saved. Don't forget. Sin is the result of forgetting what happened when you got saved. That all of a sudden he's not enough. That all of a sudden what he did wasn't sufficient. That all of a sudden there is no way out and I just have to do this right now. No, you don't. <laughs> When you got saved, your heart was changed. It was transformed. It was added to. The old passed away. The new is here. Are you guys with me this morning? He says, by the renewing of your mind, for a reason, because it's not, ladies and gentlemen, how you think that needs to change. Because it's all different. We all come to conclusions differently. Beck's got a teacher mind. I got a pastor mind. But if we all come to the same conclusion, that's, that's important. So, what's the point? Don't change how you think. Change what you think on. Change what you think about. If the same stuff, well, let me just say this. Put good in the front end of the factory and let Christ come out. Whatever goes on in that factory, however, I mean, I'm a man. I can barely scratch the surface when it comes to trying to understand how women think. Okay? So I'm just, and it's probably the same from women to men. You have no clue what's going on. Sometimes we don't either. But whatever's going on in that little factory, hey, you put Christ in, I guarantee Christ's coming out. Guarantee it. You put the world in there, who knows what's going to come out the other end. I guarantee it will not be for your success. It will steal, it will destroy, it will bring you to a place where sin will reign. Don't forget what he did. Are you with me this morning? Are you trucking with a brother? I just got to bring it back. I love it. God, I don't know why I stopped using that. 
But here it is, so that you may prove, so that there will be evidence what the will of God is. And there's no gray area. See, that's, that's the part that I feel like needs to be pulled out right there. Because we got a lot of people in the church saying, well, this, this is God's will. It's God's will. Okay. Is it according to the word and does it look the same? Those are just ways that we can sift through those statements so that there's evidence so that we can prove what the will of God is and it has characteristics. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. You guys with me this morning? You catching that? So what this title is saying is talking about an exchange. That on the foundation, the front end of being transformed, the front end of not being conformed, the front end of being a living sacrifice, the front end of being acceptable to God, comes by a way of exchanging your life because He's a merciful God. Because He was giving us things that are undeserved. That should bring us to a place where we just say, Father, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I thought. I'm sorry that I put my whatever above you. Um, I'm sorry. It's, it's, it, it has a, an element of confession, but it has an element of contriteness to it. You can go to Psalms 51, and this is David's prayer of repentance. And it's big. Because David messed up. He messed up pretty big. But the Lord did not want him to simply just be sorrowful and say, I won't do it again. What the Lord saw in David was a broken and contrite heart. That's a heart that can be worked on. That's a heart that's transformed. That's a heart that is not hard. Are you with me today? So if you take anything from today, let your heart be arrested, transformed by looking at the mercies of who He is and He allowed you to wake up today. In exchange, give Him your life. All of it. All of it. Guess what I'm going to say after that one? All of it. Not the 95% like Saul. But from sunup to sundown, being a representation of who Jesus is. Did you get that, church? Yeah. Amen. Let's get our worship team back up here and we'll get... Prepare for our offering. Also, we're going to do communion this morning. So we'll get that up here too. But as we close, what would be, what would be the response to this this morning? Um, whatever response comes, I hope that it comes on the plate of, of humility where we realize how amazing of a God we serve. He's got every right in the world to not let us breathe the very next breath. But because He's a God who loves us so much, He, he allows us to. And I don't want that to be um, like encouragement by intimidation. I hate that. But it's a principle. It's incontrovertibly true. We are so nothing without Him. But with Him we are everything. 
I'm going to say this morning, step back into being with Him. If you've stepped away. Let your mind, you guys can come up here, go back to that moment you first met Him. And say, you know what? I believe. I still believe. I still believe to the depth that is not uh, congruent to my experiences. I believe to the depth of the intimacy that I have with you. Does that make sense this morning? Let's pray for this real quick as we jump in to closing. Father, thank you for this uh, offering this morning. And Lord, you are an amazing God. You're an amazing Lord. The way that you do things, Father, we'll never be able to understand. But Lord, I am so thankful that you've got it figured out. I'm so thankful that your plan is perfect. And God, I just simply want to trust you. We want to trust you this morning. Father, we trust you with every part of our life. Lord, as we step into giving, we trust you with that as well. Uh, Father, we, we want you to be able to trust us that when we give, we're giving joyfully. We're giving from a place of, of knowing, Father, that you are our provider. And, and God, we just want to bless you um, so that you will uh, be able to, to bless us according to your, to your principles. But Father, we want to bless you just because we want to bless you. Because you're just a good, good father. So Lord, bless whatever gets put in the plate uh, so that we can uh, honor you with that. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. You can go ahead and pass that, guys. That you can accept Christ right now and know him and then therefore take communion. So if there's been anything in this message that has moved your heart, it's not me that moves people's heart. It's Christ that moves people's heart. It's the gospel. It's God. It's Jesus. To give your life to him for the first time, transfer your trust from yourself to him, if that's you, let's just pray about that. I don't know. There might be nobody. It might be somebody. But let's just pray about that real quick. Father, if you've moved on anybody's heart in this moment who's never said, Father, I want you to be my Lord and personal Savior, has never said that out loud. You say in your scripture that that's the only way to heaven is when a man confesses with his mouth and believes in his heart that you are Lord. The deal is done. But Lord, you get us to a place because of looking at the reality of sin. That it creates this gap. That we are unable to close that gap. But what you did on the cross, you closed it. And you gave us access to the throne. So Father, if there's anybody in here who you've moved on to that point and they want to give their life to you for the first time, I pray that they would just raise their hand. Lord, we can pray with them and welcome them in to the kingdom. But Lord, if today's the day for them, I pray they don't pray that you don't miss this moment. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for how you do it. In Jesus' name. Amen. So here's what we're gonna do. We'll get up, come down the center aisle. Alright? Communion is on my right and my left. You can get what you need. Go back to your seat. Once everybody's seated, I'll pray us through the taking of communion. But you can literally take it whenever you want. You don't have to wait on me, but I feel as though it's good to kind of facilitate the moment. So let's stand to our feet. Come on down. Get what you need. Go back to your seat and we'll have a, have a moment with the Lord here. It's a privilege to be able to take communion because of what it represents.
Lord, we see in your scripture how you were speaking to your disciples before you fulfilled your purpose on the cross and you picked up a piece of bread, Lord, and you broke it, you passed it around and you began speaking. And what you said, Father, we need to take to heart. You spoke to these men saying, this, this is a representation of my body. This is a representation of what is going to be literally destroyed. The temple that will be destroyed and risen again, built back up in three days. But what we are to do is the representation that we have in our hand, that little wafer, Lord. We eat that and we do that in remembrance of you because that's what you asked your disciples to do. And Lord, we want to never forget how serious was the Lord you didn't overpay for what you're getting in return thank you so much for paying the way that you did father but also Lord what's in the cup you picked up the cup and you began speaking about it as well saying this is a representation of my blood that will be spilled for all mankind so that all mankind can be on the status of redeemed that redemption has been had or will be had. And Lord, you gave that cup to your disciples, passed it around, and you told them to, to drink of that. That's what we do with that, that cup that's in front of us. But that's your blood that was spilled. It was exactly the right amount. And we drink that, Lord, in remembrance of you, remembrance of your, uh, your sacrifice. Right now, Father, when it comes to this, this being transformed, Lord, there might be a way of thinking that we need to let go of. There might be a behavior, Father, that we need to revisit and say, you know what? That doesn't honor God. God, I pray in this moment as we just take a minute, minute and a half or so, that we can just talk to you about those things. Let it be a time of confession. Let it be a time of contrition. Father, let it be a time of joy. Let it be a time of encouragement. Thank you, Jesus.
let the transforming of the mind take place. But let's let's stand to our feet as we finish, as we close in this song this morning. And this altar is open. If you need to get in front of the Lord, go ahead. trans 